the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hi, friends. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm, a show all about taking a deep dive into the mess and the gray and the tense, the stuff that doesn't have easy answers, even even if maybe at the time we feel like they do have easy answers. Mm-hmm. I think when we lean in rather than lean away, we understand a lot of times that things are more complex than maybe we first thought. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. You can also go to 1160hope.com. All the previous shows are there, plus the show is podcasted for your enjoyment. You can find podcasts wherever you get your podcast subscription. And it's enjoyable. It is, it is enjoyable. for your enjoyment. For the most part. <laughs> Every once in a while. <laughs> maybe we don't hit the total bullseye. But I, uh, I've been thinking just in the last maybe week, week and a half, probably a little more than lo- longer than that, is there's there's been so much in the news, yep. right and left, about the morality of our political leaders, maybe not even just political leaders, le- leaders in general, right? I'm thinking of, of Cohen uh, most mm-hmm. recently, and I don't know if you saw Elijah Cummings, his address kind of at the end of that hearing. It's powerful. W- well worth seven minutes of your time. But as I'm like reading reports, I'm reading arguments on both sides of the, of, of the coin and both sides of the aisle, I, I was kind of struck by this question. Like, do, do we actually care right. whether or not our leaders are moral? Like, uh, maybe, maybe those listening at first blush would say, well, yes, of course. But, like, is that an issue that, as Christ followers maybe specifically, is of paramount value to us? Or, or are we inclined to say, well, the ends justify the means? I don't agree with their morality, but right. their policies are things I stand for. Therefore, I- I'm willing to ignore some of their behavior because the stuff they get done is the greater good. It's worthwhile. And yep. I- I'd be really curious to know, how do you grapple with this idea of the morality of our leaders? I was just thinking to that, like you said just the other day, watching the Today Show. Every morning I try to watch the Today Show, try to, try to come up with ideas and stuff to talk about. And uh, it was they were talking about Michael Cohen and the stuff he allegedly did for the president or didn't do for the president. And you start, you know, talking about the president and porn stars and extramarital affairs. So I want to differentiate morality from legality here. Like I I want to hold our our politicians certainly uh, to not breaking the law. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, But you raise a great question is, is our president, our congressmen, our governors, whatever, are they really there just for policy purposes to, like you said, the ends justify the means a bit. And it's not a Republican thing, right? Well, this was the same thing with uh, Bill Clinton yeah. in the 90s. Like, should we get, not did he do something wrong, but should we care what happened with Monica Lewinsky in the Oval Office? And mm. and and does it matter? And um, I'm going to say this. I think as I've wrestled with that question, well, here's also why it's a big question. What is it that everyone's saying about evangelicals right now? Like, 
why are they the ones backing Donald Trump when Donald Trump has this litany of baggage? Yeah. Uh, you know, like I said, uh, Stormy Daniels, all these other things. It just seems like there's a lot of smoke there. <laughs> there's a lot sure. of stuff. Uh, and, and yet you see 80% of evangelicals or whatever kind of still in his corner. And people would say that's a policy deal. And I would say, as I've wrestled with this, I do think it matters. Okay. For me, I do think it matters. And it's an issue of leadership. Um, I think the people who represent your organization in this in this scenario, the country, uh, I think I think those standards kind of trickle down. Hmm. We see that in churches, hmm. right? The senior pastor... Uh, these churches that have taken an ends justify the means with their senior pastor, and then it falls down. That kind of makes its way through the organization. You see this in businesses, what's at the top. And I actually think that happens in the country. Yeah, We saw this in the 90s with Bill Clinton when people started saying that doesn't matter what he does there. Some of the norms within the country, I would say, changed for the worse. Hmm. Uh, and, and I think as our politicians, it's like, no, it's just they just lie because it's that or this. I think that makes its way down. And I do think our kids see that. I do think it becomes much more of a social norm. Uh, and for that reason, I do think it matters. I'm not asking our politicians to be pastors um, or to pastor my kids, but I do think as a representative of the country, it matters. Yeah, it made me think of a story. I remember years ago, there was a church whose pastor was removed. And uh, as I kind of got into it, I heard story after story after story of all of this like really uh, public behavior that pointed to there being an issue with this mm-hmm. guy, like not hidden stuff. I mean, there was hidden stuff too, but like really public behavior and how he, how he talked to people, how he treated people. And I heard this 10, 12, 15 times. And finally I, I asked if you guys all knew this, why, why didn't you do something? Why, why did you stay here? And 10 times out of 10, their response was uh, because he was such a good preacher. Yep. His preaching was so good. It was so powerful because, you know, and maybe maybe that's the parallel. The the product that he provided was so good. We were we were willing to kind of stomach the rest of this. We were willing to excuse the rest yes. of the behavior and uh and it doesn't always play out this way, but like, you know, that over the course of 20 years there actually was some secret stuff that was allowed to fester that yep. eventually did bubble over that disqualified him from leadership. And I think that distinction in the church world, it's probably a little bit easier. Uh, for us, it's for sort of sure. like, man, that moral component, that ethical component, yes, we are sinners saved by grace. Absolutely. There's all sorts of stuff that I've done that I am absolutely horrified, that I regret. You know, that that is true for yes. everyone that you've ever met, and, and that has to be, I think, the centerpiece of our message. However, I remember when that pastor was removed— uh, there was an uproar. People would say, what about grace? Mm. What about forgiveness? And the elders had to say, he, he's been forgiven, but he's disqualified himself as a leader. That's so huge. And that was so hard for people to reconcile that, like, wait a minute, he can be both forgiven and yet not still be our pastor? Yep. Like, what an odd—there are still consequences to his actions, yep. I think. And so when you bring that into the political sphere or, I mean, even the the athletic sphere, we, mm-hmm. all, we so often want to— place these moral expectations on guys because they play a game well or girls yep. because they achieve some sort of like artistic skill. I I absolutely do think it matters. Mm-hmm. I think the way we go about appointing moral authority though is mm. that's broken. Yes. I don't I don't think we have a great rubric uh, for assigning that, it tends to be those with uh, the largest platform are held to the highest moral standard, and that to me seems like a like an unhelpful measurement. I'm I'm, I'm with you on that one. There's that line that's well known from the movie. You remember the movie? Remember the Titans? Yeah, and love that movie. And 
there's the part where the captain, they're, they're the two like kind of defensive players are yelling at each other, and the one guy looks at the other one. And I remember he said this. He said, uh, he's like, your attitude's bad. Your attitude's bad. And he says, attitude reflects leadership. Right, right. And it just kind of like laid there. He's like, attitude reflects leadership. And I do think... Even when we talk nationally, I think that happens. I think mm. what's going on at the top uh, seeps its way down to what is accepted as a culture and mm. as a society. So when we put up with our, our Congress people or our president or other people lying, like we just go, well, that's what they do. They lie. Yeah, right. And I think lying makes its way through the culture. Uh, and I think for that reason, it's important. It doesn't have to dictate how you vote necessarily. Right. Right. Like policy matters and, and things you believe in matter. But I also think the morality to some level of our leaders in our country, in our churches, in our businesses, it does matter. Yeah, and I think to take it one step further, too, just for the common listener, the common person, right, the thing that's really important to remember is that we can't let this sentiment then, like, further shame people into secrecy. So- sometimes, yes. if we're going to say, man, it's important that you are a moral, ethical person first, we're saved by grace, we mm-hmm. absolutely hang our life on that. But second, to not let that sentiment then, like, oh, shoot, if if I'm supposed to be this moral person, like that Mad- Madeline Langle quote, you know, my friend commented, sometimes the pressure of being someone, we're called to be a light, right. sometimes the pressure is to hide whenever I'm not being a light, mm-hmm. like to, to manufacture light, to pretend to be more moral. Like, I think part of what you're alluding to is sometimes it isn't even just an issue of who is or is it the most moral. It's who can hide it best, <laughs> right? Yes. Who can play the game best, which yeah. unfortunately has become pretty central to our political system. Absolutely. So it really becomes much less about like who actually is like living a, a better, more Christ-like life. It's who's got the best PR campaign, yes. like who has the best media in their corner. And that to me is a, that's an unfortunate rubric that I think for a lot of us, um, it's happening uh, more often and more consistently than we realize. Yep, and I think it's just making its way down. I yep. think we see it in business. We see it in local government. We see it in churches. Yep, that's right. Uh, and the kids are watching, and I think it all matters. Well, yeah, I think that's our, that's our conclusion is that morality does certainly matter. Well, coming up next, uh, we're going to share some news from Alex Trebek and um, really ultimately talk about the, the shortness of life, the fleeting nature of life, and, uh, and how that affects us. So that's coming up next on The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hi, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm, a show all about diving into the mess, the gray, but also... What do we have in common? I'm usually amazed, actually, at how much we have in common with people that at the service you think, man, I don't know that I have anything in common with this person, which is, I think, mm-hmm. kind of the point, right? That so often we want to lean away. We want, we want to challenge people to lean in, to actually ask good questions, to listen, not to respond, but listen to actually understand. And we'd love to listen to you, engage with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. You can also go to 1160hope.com, plus the show is podcasted. And I don't know about you, man, but I feel like a lot of times when it comes to like things that celebrities post online, it's usually like promoting something right. or I got this new you know, clothing line or this new book or whatever. But every once in a while, uh, a celebrity will share something that, that just sort of stops you in your tracks. Yes. Like in the noise and feed of like everything you see on Facebook and Twitter, sometimes a celebrity kind of cuts through the noise and says something uh, pretty profound. And uh, yesterday that came in the form of uh, Alex Trebek. And so I want you all to listen to a little bit of what he shared. Hi, everyone. I have some news to share with all of you, and it's in keeping with my longtime policy of being open and transparent with our Jeopardy! fan base. I also wanted to prevent you from reading or hearing some 
overblown or inaccurate reports regarding my health. So therefore, I wanted to be the one to pass along this information. Now, just like 50,000 other people in the United States each year, this week I was diagnosed with stage 4 pancreatic cancer. Now, normally the prognosis for this is not very encouraging, but I'm going to fight this, and I'm going to keep working, and with the love and support of my family and friends, and with the help of your prayers also, I plan to beat the low survival rate statistics for this disease. Truth told, I have to, because under the terms of my contract, I have to host Jeopardy for three more years. So help me, keep the faith, and we'll win. We'll get it done. Thank you. Okay, so now I don't know if you uh, grew up with Jeopardy, if you're a Jeopardy totally. guy or not. I really? Just, I, and my kids are into it now, so we've been watching Jeopardy no lately. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. That's, man, when I heard this, uh, it started coming across social media, and then I, I watched it, and I was really sad. Yeah. Like, no, I grew up watching Jeopardy when I was older, and then, like I said, my kids have been watching it now, and Alex Trebek is like... He's just a fixture. He's an right? icon. There's yeah. Pat Sajak on the Wheel of Fortune. Right. There's Bob Barker on the Price is Right. And there's Alex Trebek. Yeah. And he's like, he's like this picture. You know, I don't know who Alex Trebek. Maybe he's not this, but he's like everybody's kind of dad, and he's, he's right. like everyone's teacher. Yeah. And hmm. uh, man, when I heard that, it just made me sad. And when I heard, you know, you couple that with like Luke Perry the other day. Uh huh. I was like prime 90210 generation Wait. like that's when i was in high school <laughs> like that was on when i was in high school and like that he died of a stroke at 52 yeah and you know alex trebek i god bless him like i you know be praying for him and he's talking like you know very positively but even he said i'm going to beat the low chances of and you're just like oh my gosh right like, uh and it is there's a heaviness to it even though he wasn't heavy about it man when you hear it you're just like oh that's like a gut punch well maybe i'm reading too much into it but when i watched the video too there was a a part where it looked like he was tearing up and uh i realized why that was so strange for me because a lot of these celebrities you see them in multiple roles or in interviews where you kind of get a peek behind the curtain i've not had any of that with alex trebek so Uh, he's been in some way sort of this like stoic almost one-dimensional character in my life and to see him, and you're right, he didn't like he didn't get all choked up or anything. Yep, yep, yep. But but he's talking about a very real, honest thing. There was something for me. It was like a light bulb moment. Like oh, he's a guy with a family who's probably mm. scared to death. Who's got the right? Like it's it's easy to like pretend that these celebrities on the screen don't have the same depth of like fear and hope and emotion as the rest yeah. of us. But for some reason, seeing someone like him who's always so buttoned up, so put together, cracks like a joke here or there, but then it's like back to business. Yep. Kind of honestly saying, yeah, the odds are low. And it mentioned even, we got to keep the faith. Keep the faith. Let's beat this thing together. And I think just seeing the support on social media, like, wow, this guy's really loved. And it made me think, wow, how, how odd it is for me for some reason to see a celebrity talk so honestly about yeah, death. Yeah, and it just it just reminds you again. And I think as Christians, we have to constantly go back to this. It reminds us of the brevity of life, Yeah, right? Like when Luke Perry died the other day of a stroke, uh, you know, all these people on Twitter and Facebook were just going, I can't believe he died because he's so young, right? 52. Alex Trebek, oh, I can't believe it. But we should believe it because this is what happens in our world, right? Yeah, right. Death is a reality. And, you know, to take this, uh, you know, more biblically, like, no, no, we've got to know that that 
it could be Alex Trebek yesterday getting the diagnosis or whenever he got it. It could be us tomorrow. Yeah. It, Luke Perry having the stroke a couple days ago could be us tomorrow. Like there's a we can lull ourselves into a false sense of security. That's like, oh, you know, I'm only 41. I've got I'm you know, I'm barely on the back nine. Probably, yeah. you know, yeah. like I'm going and, you know, you're just going to it's always going to be like this until it's not. And it just does. It does serve as a reminder of. Am I living for the things that are most important, like temporally here, but also eternally? Is my is my life situated in such a way as it's called to in Scripture? Uh, and these kind of things with these high-profile people, they kind of knock you back into having to ask those questions. Well, and I think, too, you mentioned like the sense of security. And I think for me, at my worst moments, it's not just security, it's control. Mm. It's this illusion of control that I'm actually in control and because... Because I'm a good driver, then I'll never be in an accident because, because you know, I take care of my diet. Like, I'm never going to get sick. Like, there is there is a sense of, like, oh, no, I, I'm definitely going to make it to 95. Yep. And and I, I have that thought for no reason yep. other than I just think it. Like, I believe, like I function often, like, oh, yeah, I, I got another 50, 60 years for sure. And yep. that can be a little morbid to think about. But I think it's important to think about because, you know, you and I are both pastors and we've both officiated funerals. And, and sometimes it's people that we don't know all that well, but you observe all the other yep. people that are there and it has a way of like snapping us out of whatever sleepwalk state we've been in of saying, no, I'll make time for that person when it's not crazy. Well, you know what? It's probably always going to be crazy. Make yep. time or I'll, I'll make that a priority when things lighten up. That's not to say that we don't have crazy seasons where we really need to dive into our, our work or whatever's going on. But man, I've been guilty of sleepwalking through whole seasons of my life, uh, sort of waiting for that that next thing. I'm I'm, I'm not present right now because I'm so convinced yep. tomorrow's guaranteed. And you know, seeing for some reason it, it feels cheesy, but like watching Alex Trebek talk about something really heartbreaking, something really yep. honest that affects a lot of people. Um, that, that that does have a way of kind of bringing things back into focus, you yeah. know. Yeah, and then as believers, it gives us also an opportunity, a, a reminder that we've got good news to share. I, there's this author that I follow on Twitter, and he regularly is he is an atheist. He's an avowed atheist, he's just a sports writer, and he um he will regularly share that death terrifies him. Hmm. The concept of death terrifies him, and that we're probably surrounded by. I mean, death scares me, the unknown, but. But knowing that the hope that we have in Christ and the hope that we have of eternity allows for us uh, to be able to speak speak hope to the people who are going, death terrifies me. Yeah. Death terrifies I've never told you this story, but you, my cousin, I don't have many cousins. I have a cousin uh, whose husband we were close with, and at the age of 39, like not to be too melancholy here, but he literally sat in a chair and died. Wow. And it made no sense. Wow. It made no sense. And all of us have those stories, but when they're personal and in our lives— it just really rocks you. And I think that's what we want everybody out there. As pastors, part of our job is to help people understand the brevity of, the brevity of life, the hope we have in Jesus, uh, and the need to kind of live with, with that, um, not expectation, but with um, just with that driving us on a daily basis. Yeah, not to fear death, right? right. You know, the, Paul writes to Corinthians, where, oh, death is your victory. Correct. As, you know, that's like swagger, Paul. Like, you know, mm -hmm. listen, we don't have to He's be afraid of you. It. Right. We yep. don't have to be afraid of you. To, to be mindful of it, though, to make today to prioritize what needs to be prioritized. Yes. Not just things, but people. Probably more importantly, people. To not let moments pass that you could be present for. Maybe even in this moment that means put the phone down. Yes. Turn the TV off. Cancel that meeting. Like, create some space. Create some margin. We're not 
guaranteed a thing. Yes. Be present right now because tomorrow's not guaranteed. That's I think good. that's that's always a good thing for us to remember. Yep. Well, coming up next, we have a brilliant guest in the studio. His name is John Blumberg, and he wrote a book called Return on Integrity. Funny, we were just talking about we integrity were. of our leaders. John has some brilliant insight, particularly into this topic, and I think you're all are really going to enjoy him. That's coming up next on The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey friends, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simkins along with Brian Fromm, a show all about diving into the mess and the gray and the tents, the stuff that doesn't always tie up with a nice bow at the end because that's honestly where most of us live most of our lives. And we also hopefully want to engage in sort of this common space. What are the things that we share in common? Because it feels like more and more we just have people kind of shouting from their vantage points. What, is, what does it look like to lean in to learn from one another? And we'd love to learn from you. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. You can also go to 1160hope.com. Plus, the show is podcasted. You can listen to us at twice the speed that way, if that's <laughs> to your benefit. <laughs> Highly encourage that. But I'm absolutely thrilled to have in the studio a very special guest, John. Blumberg. How are you, sir? I'm doing good, Ian. Good to see you. <laughs> Likewise. Just so people know who you are, I'm going to read your bio and then we're going to get into it. John G. Blumberg is a companion to CEOs who want to reap a return on integrity. He's a national speaker and author of several books, including Return on Integrity. John has received the designation of Certified Speaking Professional from the National Speakers Association. He's also just a darn good guy. <laughs> I, can, I can verify that. And fun fact, when I first started the Yellow Box, we had a quote of his in the sermon, and I mispronounced his last name. There you go. And all these people afterwards were like, you know, he goes to this church, right? <laughs> I was like, well, I did not know that <laughs> call now me embarrassed yeah <laughs> and just a little bit ago we were talking about this idea of morality and integrity when it comes to political leaders and religious leaders and you quite literally wrote the book on integrity it's called return on integrity the individual's journey to the one essential thing and i and i honestly i just think it's brilliant i think it's a really helpful practical but inspiring work i'm wondering if you could you just kind of paint for us a vision a picture of the book and, and why you wrote it in the first place yeah, Ian, and I appreciate that. It It is, um, you know, I started with a book called Good to the Core, and, and just by design, it was a very short book. And mm. I realized that I had just really scraped the surface of something that I think we had totally missed on mm. this idea of core values. And we, we you know, we toss around the topic of integrity, uh, mm. and I, I think we toss it toss it around, talk about it, yeah, uh, but right. we don't embrace it very much. Mm. And so I wanted to dive a lot deeper into it. And when I wrote the first book um, that was for leaders, uh, it was a one-year project uh, that turned out to be a four-year journey. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. That's amazing. So this topic of integrity, whether it be business or church, or as Ian said earlier, we were talking about government, what makes living with integrity difficult? Yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, reasons for that. We have so much pressure in our world today. And, you know, if you think about it, whether it's in churches or in organizations or in politics, Mm. we measure everything uh, all the time. And it's it's deep and it's consistent. And we're so driven by a short term focus because Mm -hmm. of that. Mm. And so I think people are so reactive and integrity comes from a much deeper place of responding. Hmm. And so I think that's one of the reasons. There, 
Probably the other reason is we assume that we know this. Uh, we assume that mm. we have integrity. Mm. And, wow. and the problem is I don't think we know it as well as we think we do. And I would suggest in a world of rapid change and disruption that mm. making assumptions about the state and the depth of your integrity uh, can be a very dangerous thing. Mm. Yeah. No, okay. So you, you mentioned that you think people assume they have integrity. Do you think people assume others do have it or don't have it? What, what is the general assumption about the other person out there, do you think? Oh, Ian, it's much more fun to judge others. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I think all, all, we're always questioning whether everybody else does. And I think we'd right. probably be better served to look in the mirror and do a lot more yeah. discernment you know, about ourselves. And, and I think, too, where we see people fall, uh, we, it seems like in society we love to see that. Yeah. Uh, and there's just something about about that. Maybe it's like gossip. Mm. And I always say that when you see somebody fall, first of all, your heart should break for them, regardless of what the relationship is. Totally. Um, And then you ought to learn a lesson from what they've done and how that speaks into your life. Mm. That's really good. So we've been throwing the word around integrity, and I think we all have a general feel for what we mean, but how would you, you wrote the book on integrity, how would you define as best you can just that word? What is integrity? Yeah, that's a great question, Brian, because I think we could uh, take a room full of people and we we would um, probably get a lot of different definitions. Yeah. And if you go out and Google the word, you would find some different definitions. There are three words that I found that really resonated. And that is, first of all, uh, the whole. Mm. Second is entire. And the third is undiminished. So wow. you think about whole, entire, and undiminished. Uh, you kind of think integrated, right? That yeah. we're integrated internally, we're a- integrated externally. And uh, and so, therefore, I think that's why this whole journey to integrity is it's more complicated and mm. it's more adventurous than we would ever uh, give it credit for. That's really good. Okay, so so part of what we were talking about earlier was that for some people uh, in certain circles, in certain situations, the ends justify the means, that the if the end result of someone's behavior or leadership, that could be a politician or a pastor. I've often heard people say, he's a pretty terrible person, but man, he's a great preacher. And we seem to be okay with that. But that seems to be a disconnect from this integration that you're talking about. Why, why, is, why is that sentiment so pervasive that like, hey, so long as he gets the job done, right? We, yeah. we, we say it about our politicians all the time. Integrity seems like it's almost a secondary at best when it comes to like assessment of like leaders and partners and stuff. Why, why is that so rare? Yeah. And I think that's becoming more common. It's yeah. kind of like the frog in the boiling water, right? Yeah. We get used to that. And mm. I think right now, uh, in our, in the arena that we're living in, uh, that we're we're seeing a lot of that, and people are justifying a lot of things. And I don't think they that the uh, means, are, you know, the end ever justifies the means. Mm-hmm. Is that there is no integrity in that? Mm. And what I would suggest is we will always get to a better end when we have better means. And, oh, that's good. And so I think that um, it's a cop out. It's a short term answer mm. uh, to or a short range answer uh, to, yeah. you know, something that we're really trying to get through. And I would suggest with the right means that we would um, probably uh, actually discover a better end yeah. along the way. That's good. When you talk to businesses, CEOs running organizations, do they believe you on that? Like what is hmm. Do they go, no, ends justify the means, we get there, and how do you have that conversation with them? Yeah, not the kind of leaders that I like to work with. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I just, um, 
what here's what they would say is that they do not believe that the means justifies the ends. What they will tell you is how hard the pressure is mm. uh, to get others to follow that. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. So I, you know, I think um, I, I, there's some really great CEOs out yeah. there, and they're yeah. feeling the pressure. Uh, and I, I write in the leader book that. Uh, they they get a lot of pressure because oftentimes the pressure in, isn't even in the organization. It's, right. it's shareholders, right? Right. right. And what, I think oftentimes in organizations, this really falls in the hands of the of, of board of directors and more importantly in shareholders mm. to you know call for integrity in the organization. Absolutely. Okay, so you just touched on something really important, I think, because uh, we know better than to say maybe the ends justify the means because we know that that's not a great sentiment. And whether it's preachers or CEOs, often we know how to spin things to make ourselves look better, right? right. Like, so I don't know anyone that say, oh, integrity doesn't matter. Like nobody, most people are smart enough not to outright say that, but maybe live as if that's true. How do, how do you kind of cut through some of the noise of like spin or creative, like what you just said, like, oh, I'll talk about the pressures of the, of the job. You know, like, oh, you're still kind of saying the same, you're justifying the same thing, but in prettier language. How do you cut through the noise to like really get to the heart of integrity and its lack and to help people grow in that area? Yeah, that's uh, it, you're right. I mean, it's a different language yeah. uh, that we're in effect justifying uh, the means to do that. And and I would say that, um, you know, it, it, you just keep coming back that it's a you got to keep coming back to am I committed to integrity? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I would almost rather if somebody. Uh, doesn't believe in integrity or says, I, I, I just don't think it's that important. Mm. There's actually some integrity in that. <laughs> yes. That's so true. It's, That's so right. true. it's a bit of a paradox. But, yes. um, you know, I, I think in the end, uh, what we find is if you're not committed to integrity, it will eventually catch up with you, not mm. overnight, but over time. That's good. Um, and then eventually we have to look back on the journey that we've been on. That's really good. And we eventually have to answer, uh, you know, to that. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Well, so we've been joined by John Blumberg, who wrote the authoritative book, in my opinion, <laughs> on integrity. It's called Return on Integrity. What a timely, timeless topic. And so yes. he's going to remain in the studio with us. We're going to continue to talk to him about his book, Return on Integrity. That's here at The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hi, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm, a show all about diving into the mess. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com. And we are joined in the studio by a very special guest, Mr. John Blumberg, author of Return on Integrity. And in case you're just joining us, I'm going to tell you a little bit about who John is. John is inspiring a movement on building value with core values. In 1996, John left behind an 18-year career he loved, one that had taken him uh, from CPA to worldwide recruiting responsibilities at Arthur Anderson, and from there followed his dream as a professional speaker to reach audiences in 10 countries Mm. on three continents. That's insane. Over the last two decades, John has evolved his initial general focus on leadership to a laser focus on precisely what fuels it. John is the author of Return on Integrity, the new definition of ROI and why every leader needs to know about it. And I personally just think it's a great, great book. It's great. That's not even just for leaders necessarily. That's just a, a really appropriate book for people to engage with. And you were talking in the last segment a little bit about part of the issue with integrity is people just assume they have it or they assume they know what it is. How, how do you 
challenge those assumptions? How does someone actually figure out whether or not they have it? Yeah, I think a lot of times, and I talk about it in terms of uh, knowing your core values. In fact, mm-hmm. I actually say that integrity is not a core value, which is ironic because it's on the list of almost every corporation hmm. in America. Yeah. Uh, and what I try to say about that is integrity is the fabric of every value. Oh, uh, but people good. assume that they know their core values. And so I actually went out and developed a very sophisticated tool <laughs> uh, to be able to assess that. And sure. it's called a blank sheet of paper. <laughs> I've heard of it. <laughs> and, <laughs> I have one of those. And, <laughs> and so you just say, uh, see, do you know what your core values are? And they'll say, yeah, yeah, no, I know what my core values are. And I'll say, okay, here's a blank sheet of paper. What are they? And that's mm. where that moment of truth is. In fact, I, I always say we stumble over the yes. truth, right? Mm. So, and hopefully it's not a challenge. It's a wake-up call yeah. uh, to the beginning of an adventure. That's good. I like that. In your book, you differentiate a couple of things between behaviors, wants, needs, and core values. Can you flesh that out for us a little bit? Yeah, so I think a lot of times what happens, and you can check me on this by looking at the list of values on organizations. A lot of times they're not values. They're really good behaviors. Well, and I think hmm. there's a differentiation. A behavior is an action. It's very situational. What right. would I do? Listening is a behavior. It's not a value. Whereas uh, a want is a desire. And, and given uh, the hmm. right uh, values can be wonderful desires. Mm-hmm. Right. A need is very foundational. And oftentimes needs are so powerful that they parade around as core values. We won't let go of them. In fact, I've even said that family is not a core value. Hmm. Uh, Family is a need that is driven, hopefully, by a core value of love, for example. And so we show up better for that need because of that. Hmm. And I think what happens is we've got a lot of things that define our behaviors. Organizations work on that all the time, Mm -hmm. right? We work on that. New Year's resolutions, those (laughs) kind of things, right? Right. Um, And so what (laughs) I I would suggest is we'd be better to work at the other end of the continuum. Hmm. If we know what our values are, let those define our needs, let those define our wants, and let the behaviors be an expression of what those values are. So how, how hard do you think that it is for people to actually drill down to what their values are? Because you've got to work through all these layers. I imagine in coaching situations, you, you have a lot of conversations like, nope, that's actually a behavior. No, nope, that's actually a, like, how, how much work is it to really get, I'm thinking about whether you're a pastor or you're doing this with your family or your church or your small group or your mm-hmm. business. How hard is it really to, to, to cut through all the layers to actually get to your values? Yeah, in fact, I even compare it to like digging in, uh, digging in a uh, water well. Right. You know, the water's mm. there whether you dig it or not, right? Well, and good. so, in fact, I was in front of a fairly large audience, and I was saying, you know, you dig five feet down, um, you still see dirt. You dig yeah. 50 feet down, you're still looking at dirt. And I, I was kind of in a rhetorical uh, kind of cadence, and I said, well, when you get to 75 feet, what do you get? And somebody yelled out, rock. And I said, you know what? I hadn't thought about that, but sometimes it gets harder the further you get, and then eventually you get to 100 feet and there's water. So the truth is it's a process, and I think initially it gets very frustrating for people. Um, In fact, on my website I posted up, I asked the audiences over a period of two years uh, to take the blank sheet of paper and – Uh, Over those two years, with their permission, I would collect those Mm. uh, words that they came up with. And they're a collection of behaviors, wants, needs, and values. And I developed a list of about 750 words that people first came up with. And I always send people to my website and say, just go grab it and download it and engage with it. Um, So it is difficult. But the further you get into it, I think the more clarified you become about which is which. And And you begin to understand all four of those behaviors, needs, wants, and values 
all four of them are really important. That's really um, good. But they need to be flowing in the right direction, and that is from values to needs to wants yeah, to that's, behaviors. That's really good. And it strikes me that when it comes to our values, I don't think anyone wakes up and goes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn my back on my values today. Hmm. But it's kind of, I think in your book, you talk about it being more of a drift. Yes. Uh, is that accurate? And talk a little bit for people out there who are like, well, I would never betray my right, values. Right. What does that process look like? Hmm. Yeah, it starts so subtly, right? And that's the biggest danger is that we, uh, I framed it out this way, that we don't go running away from our values. We go drifting away. Mm-hmm. And one day we wake up in a place that we never meant to be drifting in a direction we never would have chosen. That's mm-hmm. good. And that's why it's so dangerous. If we could just, if it was just a fall off a cliff, yeah. most people aren't going to take the jump, right? right. Mm-hmm. It's the subtle, uh, slippery slope that we often talk yes. about and that you know that's a, probably the same as the drift but it's that's the hardest part of it absolutely it's subtle and hard to guard against right because the metrics for how you measure how far the drift is right if you jump off a cliff you're like oh i used to be on top of a cliff now i'm in a valley the disparity is really obvious a drift if you're not paying attention to those things right is harder harder to measure and as we were talking earlier too about how we perceive political leaders like what advice or counsel would you give uh in like h- helping us maintain focus on the drift like what are what are like practices or rhythms or things that we can we can integrate into our lives to help keep us from that that slippery slope that you're talking about yeah so you might think of it in terms of an anchor and Mm -hmm. i think there's a couple things one i i framed up the idea of drift catchers you have people in your life that love you enough to tell Mm. you the truth and you love them enough to accept the truth oh that's good when they tell you what you don't want to hear that's good Um, and then the other i talk about the pm am exercise and that is that every night that you sit on the side of your bed and look at or, or think about your values. A lot of people say, well, how many values should you have? And I don't know the answer to that question, but mm. I do know this, that if you cannot remember them, you cannot live them. Oof. And so therefore, <laughs> uh, you sit on the side of the bed and just kind of look at how your day went, not to beat yourself up, uh, right. just an awareness of where did they show up when they could should have. Mm. Um, and that's mm. great. Celebrate it first, right? We learn from that. And then think about where, where if I had only plugged in that value and that meeting or that challenge or that conversation, or where did I actually violate a value today? And and we always do. Um, yeah, but right. if we catch mm. it sooner, then we're in a better you know we're in a better place. That's really good. You touched on this earlier. I'm just curious. This is kind of a, a bigger question. Um, you know, we've got politicians, especially in, every, in these big churches and stuff, that seems like uh, our integrity in our society is going downhill. Mm-hmm. Yes. Is that what you're finding, or are you more hopeful as you're out there talking to organizations? Are you seeing people culturally uh, desiring to go back to a life of integrity, or are you worried about our culture that it's drifting away? Where, what are kind of your thoughts about where our culture's at? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In fact, I'm really worried that we are even losing our value of truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think the problem is, is that that's an everyday issue. And in the leader version of return on integrity versus the individual version, I, I tried to um, really come at this issue of um, are we are we drifting from truth itself? And mm. it's easy to look out at the world and have, you know, our opinions about that. Uh, I think we'd all be better served to say, I need to go inside and yeah. I need to do my part. Because the only way that we'll ever get there as a nation, as a church, yes. as a corporation, mm-hmm. is one person at a time. Oh, that's good. And one of the things that I try to emphasize, and, and corporations are, they push back on this, <laughs> is that personal values matter. Yes, and, right. And uh, not only organizational values. Uh, I, in fact, I've, I would suggest that an organization trying to develop a culture without 
personal values being part of that mix. It's institutional illusion. Wow, um, man. And so I think we all have work to do on this. But I do worry that, you know, if we don't get a grip on this as fast as the world is moving, and I would suggest we're in slow motion compared to where we're headed, mm-hmm. um, that we're we're going to be – It's it's – there's always hope. Yeah. No, hope for life, right? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> nice plug. That's a great way to end the segment. My goodness. John, thank you so, so much for so joining good. us in the studio today. You've been listening to John Blumberg, author of a whole bunch of books, but in particular, Return on Integrity. I can't encourage you enough. Go to BlumbergROI.com. That's B-L-U-M-B-E-R-G-R-O-I.com. ROI for Return on Integrity. Sir, thank you so much for thank being you. in the studio. Ian, Brian, thanks so much for having me. It's been such a blast to have you here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hi, friends. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm, a show all about Hopefully taking a deep dive into the stuff that we have in common, but also recognizing that sometimes there's not easy answers. Stuff doesn't tie up with a nice pretty bow, and I think if we're really honest, that's where most of us live most of our lives most of the time, kind of in that that common space. We want to have a conversation, invite people to lean in, and we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. You can also go to 1160hope.com. All the previous shows are there, plus they're podcasted for your listening pleasure. And uh, we've been talking about a number of different things today, but in particular, this article kind of caught both of our eyes. Yes. This, this idea of betting our life on Christ, right? Mm. This is not. This isn't a, a piece on gambling, just so everyone's <laughs> clear. This isn't about whether or not we should gamble, but it, it is a pretty fascinating take on uh, Blaise Pascal. Many of you are familiar with Pascal's wager, which essentially is saying, um, what do you have to lose right. to bet that there actually is a God? Right? That's kind of his invitation to those intellectuals of his time. Right. He says, for those who choose the way of Jesus, there's much to gain and comparatively little to lose. What's to be gained? Infinite happiness in heaven, as the wager is often presented. Uh, but a much stronger version, it reads, goes beyond mere self-interest. If Christianity is true, then living a Christian life brings joy to God and can help other people in their journeys. On the other hand, if it's false, one really hasn't lost all that much. And that's kind of his wager. And uh, we, we've known this wager for a long time. And it's just interesting. Do you find this at all compelling? Or if you weren't a believer, would you? Well, let's frame it in this way, because he frames it or the article frames it as if you're doubting, this is a way out of doubt. And mm. uh, what, what do you think about that? Okay, so first off, I would never say that the goal is to find a way out of doubt. Yeah. I think doubt in a lot of ways, uh, I think it was Frederick Beekner, he said doubt is the ants in the pants of our faith. It's a way of like keeping it alive and moving. Wow. I think Keller talks about uh, engaging with doubt. He said doubts are like antibodies, like to not dismiss them without first engaging with them. And I think... Those are really good invitations. We we often will invite people in our community to to lean into your doubts, ask questions. Don't just shoo them away, and also don't let them drive the bus. Like it's it's neither either of the extremes to actually engage with the doubts. And I think um, 
you know, at, at the surface, I think Pascal's wager is a really fascinating one, and we we've issued it a lot. And the way that we frame it at Community is, we'll say something like, "We'll invite people to pray, God, if you're real, yep, make yourself real to me." And like all, we find that all the skeptics kind of lean in when we say that. We're like, we're not trying to shove this down your throat. Like you're at a church, so we obviously believe this is true, right? But what if you made it? What if it's a 30 day wager? God, if you're real, and I don't know that you are, mm-hmm. make yourself real to me. And we invite people to like honestly and wholeheartedly pray that for a month. And actually have their eyes open to see if God doesn't move. And we've heard some remarkable stories of people who were dragged there by a spouse or a family member. And they're like, you know what? Through grit teeth, I prayed that prayer for 30 days. And holy smokes, I feel like God really started to like crack open my heart a little bit. So so in some ways, I, I actually kind of understand the power of this wager. Because it's sort of like, hey, what do you got to lose, man? Have you ever heard... Uh... Have you ever heard any stories where people are like, and after 30 days, there was nothing? Yeah. And I'm out. Yep. Totally. Really? Totally. I've, I've heard both sides of it. And that is some of the nuance. That's some of the difficulty of, yeah. of being a pastor because, you know, you make the videos of the miraculous stories. Yep. But for every one of those, there's 10 like, yeah, I did it. And I didn't hear anything. And what's amazing to me, and I'll say this, sometimes those people will say, I did it. I didn't hear anything. But I got into a small group anyway. And those people are some of the most loving, welcoming, kind-hearted. So, like, they didn't get their like, you know, celestial moment in the sky, but they experienced God's people. And that, in many ways, I think, is sometimes a miracle that people are looking for. They assume Christians are really judgmental, and so they pray this prayer, nothing in their mind miraculous happened, but they found community, they found, like, relationship. And that, in a lot of ways, is, I think, the onboard for people to actually eventually then trust in Christ. Yeah, because when it comes to Pascal's wager, like Voltaire uh, thought the wager, he called it indecent and childish, that the idea of gaming, of losing or winning, is quite unsuitable to the dignity of the subject. Yep. And, and what you're describing, I kind of like. Like, I get that. The Pascal's wager, to me, feels a little too, uh, like, antiseptic. Like, it feels like the fireproof, right? Like, yeah, well, right. I'm going to fake it, and then uh, at least in the end, if I fake it, then I, I get something out of it. So I, I don't think I'd ever go as far as Pascal's wager. I like how you guys put it. I want to talk more about that. I like how you guys kind of pray... God, I'm going to give you a chance. Yeah, right. I'm going to give you a chance and and kind of I'm going to lean into this for a season and let's try it out. To me, that feels more like trying it out where Pascal's wager is like, well, I'm making a value judgment. Like, I really don't want to right. go to hell. I'm not sure <laughs> right. this is true, but by choosing this camp, I'm not really in that camp. And that feels like, you know, Bible talks a lot about like fully following Jesus yes, and, right. and that doesn't feel with it. But I, I do like how you guys, uh, how you're talking about there, like kind of leaning in, like not sure. I don't have all the answers. And we always say, you know, you don't have to have all the answers just start the journey and That's let's right. see what happens. Well, and, and David John Ferguson wrote a great book called finding your way back to God, yep. which is sort of like the primer to our whole mission statement, helping people find their way back to God. And in it, they talk about these five awakenings. And so at the end of each chapter, they have a different version kind of of the God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. And we talk about these longings that every single one of us have. Like, so, so for the skeptic that's reading it saying, Hey, okay. So let's say you're not interested in this Jesus stuff or this Bible stuff, but have you ever like desired to like know and be known? Have you ever desired for your life to amount for something to like experience true love? Anyone who's reading with any level of integrity is going to say, okay, that, that I am familiar with that feeling. And so they kind of frame it as a way of like, all right, well, what if it's, beginning this journey and what if what if there is a god that loves you and desires for your life to have purpose and meaning and for you not to be shackled by fear and by shame like most everyone i've ever encountered whether they're a bible person or not they're like well i could use some of that you know so so we always frame it not as like a you know as like bet hedging but as 
the context of relationship. Just yes. you know, and that's the thing that I think Community for Thirty Years has done really well is to always frame it in the context of relationship. It isn't fireproof and pray this prayer to yep. save from eternal damnation. It's like no man, this this is just a better way to live. Yes. And and people we've found it's really been fascinating. A number of people will start living like that. Well before they're ever baptized, yes. well before they ever pray some prayer, and they'll still tell you, this is still just a better way to live. Yeah, and I yeah. find that so compelling because they haven't, they're still not totally bought in, but they see people living generously, like loving faithfully, and they're not doing it perfectly. They're honest about their mistakes. Mm. Who doesn't want to be a part of that? Man? Yeah. Like I think, that, you know, that's, so that's sort of how we've taken, I'm not sure that's how Pascal meant it, but that's certainly yeah, no, how we've adopted yeah. it. But that, that's so much more compelling for me because, you know, Jesus did talk about abundant life now. Yeah, right. And what does that look like? There there has to be something. This is not like you said, just get me to heaven ticket and I'll endure this lifetime. And, uh, you know, Jesus talks. And you and I talked about the early church. You know, we've talked about before. What was it compelling to a lot of people as they watched the early church? It wasn't necessarily what they were preaching. It was how they were living. Yeah. And that there was something compelling about that. So that's what I like. Pascal's wager I don't think I'd ever use this on anybody. Mm. Hey, well, if you're wrong, you're you're in big trouble. Yeah, if I'm right. wrong, whatever, we all die. And right, whatever. <laughs> right, if you right. Die, like that's just not compelling. What is compelling? I really like that. Is saying, hey, just try it out. If this is true, let's pray that prayer. Just give it a chance. Let's see what happens. In fact, there's actually a passage in John where Jesus himself sort of alludes to this idea. He's talking to people who are skeptical of him. He says, "Hey, do you want to know whether or not these teachings are from God? Mm. Like, live it out, live mm. it out, and see if it doesn't change your life." I'm paraphrasing, obviously, yes. but his challenge is sort of: here's a great way to test it out to see if it's legit or not. Actually, actually, do it. It's so Good. easy, I think, to stand on a sideline and criticize a worldview or criticize a belief system. Jesus' invitation is the: all right, try it out, and maybe if you're listening and you're you would put yourself in that skeptical category, or you walked away from some point for mm-hmm. any list of reasons. Maybe that's the challenge for you this month. For 30 days, just simply pray this prayer. God, if you're real, and I'm not totally sure that you are, but if you're real, make yourself real to me. That's really and, good. And, uh, man, I think that leaning in mentality is something that's really, really important and something that I want to continue to grow and to learn to do that in my own life as well. Me too. I like that. Well, coming up next, we're going to interview Pastor Josh Moody, who wrote a great book about boasting. Mm. He His kind of take is that Christians need to be boasting more, not less. And I think his particular angle is absolutely fascinating. So that's coming up next on The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm, a show all about diving into the murk and the mess and the gray, the stuff that doesn't always have easy answers or tie up with a nice pretty bow because that's where most of life is for most of us, but also to kind of elevate common space, the space that most of us live in, you know, most of our lives. We're not usually always in like a mountaintop or a valley and we want to create space for dialogue. So we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. You can also go to 1160hope.com. And I am absolutely thrilled about our next guest. It is Pastor Josh Moody. Pastor, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm really looking forward to it. It's our pleasure. If you don't know, Pastor Josh Moody is the senior pastor of College Church in Wheaton. He's also the founder and president of God-Centered Life Ministries and a popular guest on national media programs. He's also the author of How the Church Can Change Your Life and Burning Hearts, Preaching to the Affections. You can find out more at godcenteredlife.org or at college-church.org. Uh, but Pastor Josh, you just wrote a book, and I'm really intrigued even just by the title. It's called Boasting, which at first blush, people probably have a number of opinions about what you're actually talking about in the book. <laughs> would, would you just sort of cast some vision, tell us a little bit of what the book is about? 
Yeah, right. So, you know, Pastor Wright's book and how we should be more proud. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, um, boasting. So I was intrigued by the concept of boasting, preaching through Romans. came across a particular uh, verse in Romans chapter 5 where Paul says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, but the the, uh, word behind that is actually boast. We Mm. boast in the hope of the glory of God. Mm. And in chapter 3, he's just said, well, we don't boast. Boasting is excluded because of grace. You know, God has done it all, and therefore we've got nothing to boast about. But now... Now we do have something to boast about. And so that intrigued me, and I did some uh, research through you know, what Paul says about it. But then also what else is said about this idea that there is a right way to stand up and speak out about mm. Jesus and to do it with... So then you know, how do we speak about God in the public sphere? How do we stand up and talk about Jesus online or in our social media uh, mm. space? in a way that is uh, rightly promoting um, God, hmm. but not promoting ourselves. What's the, what's the right way to do that? And so that's what the book's about. That's really good. Yeah, I'm curious, just playing off of that, what would you give some practical day-to-day uh, people are listening to this going, yeah, I do want to do that right. What are just some pastoral tips on how people can boast right and what that looks like? Yeah, I think, well, you know, practically, first of all, it comes down to really an experience of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mm. think nothing nothing can do that for us other than the grace of God. Only Jesus can give us a heart for him, mm. and not only a heart for him, but the courage to stand up for him. So part of my concern in this book is I think we're falling off either side of two wrong extremes. On the one hand, we're creating a sort of Christian celebrity culture, right. whereby we're boasting about ourselves. Right. But on the other hand, we're creating a whole generation of people who don't want to say anything. And, and, and so evangelism, all the statistics suggest that evangelism is down, hmm. and um, we, we, d- we just don't want to put ourselves out there but yeah. in case we're boasting in ourselves or we're being arrogant or something. And so it begins with a hard experience of, of God in conversion, but then a daily experience of grace that mm. really, I do want to give all my life for him, and I'm, I'm willing to speak about that. And there's lots of other things, but I think that's yeah. where it begins. That's really good. So one of the things that we talk about on the show a lot, actually, is social media and how it's shaping us, informing us, whether we're aware of it or not, and how... In some circles, it seems like the chasm is widening, right? We're sort of caught in our confirmation bias and our echo chambers. How, how, how do you specifically, with regards to social media, utilize that as a tool to, to boast well, like in the ways that you're, you're talking about in this book? Well, I think we have to be aware of the, the different uh, bandwidths of the different kinds of social media. So Twitter obviously only has a few words right. that you can use, even though they've given you a few more in the last, whatever it was, year or so, I guess, mm-hmm. but still not very lengthy. And so right. that, that tends towards um, uh, oversimplification. And when you oversimplify things, it tends towards too extreme categorization. You, you jump to one side or the other of a very complicated debate. So I think sometimes it's just being willing to say there's more nuance. And the trouble with nuance mm. is people don't retweet nuance, mm. you know. And so I think sometimes you just have to be willing to say, you know, what's the answer to this? The answer is it's complicated. That's and, good, yeah. You know, there's not enough space for me to really uh, – but I can at least say it's, it's deeper and bigger than we can put into just a few words. I right. think so part of it is accepting the nuance of that, and that's a theological thing. We live in a world that is, on the one hand – um, you know, created by God and therefore good and yet fallen, and that's a complicated idea. Yeah, so right. some, some of, 
Some of the issue, I think, is we're oversimplifying. And because we oversimplify, we create black and white. You know, the, the good guys, you know, are, are sort of over there, and the bad guys are over here, and which tribe are you in? Right. And we just have to say, actually, no, it's more complicated than that. You, uh-huh. you, you pretty much just intelligently, more intelligently outlined our hope and vision for this show. <laughs> like, I'm going to listen to that answer back because that, that's exactly what we're trying to do is create space for that dialogue yeah. rather yeah. than just shouting back and forth at each other. That's yeah. brilliant. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Yeah. So, Pastor Moody, I told you I went to Wheaton College. I lived in Wheaton for, I think, 10 years. Uh, You pastor, you know, one of the more influential, um, more high-profile churches in all of Wheaton, and you brought up celebrity pastors before. I'm just really curious on a personal level, how do you not, how do you guard against that yourself? How do you guard against the boasting in yourself and kind of getting arrogant for your position? Um, I'm curious how you do that on, on, uh, on a practical level for yourself. Yeah, I, it's interesting. And people often say, you know, one of the great dangers of uh, pastors is pride. And yeah. I think there's truth to that, um, you know, because you're standing in front of people and you get the opportunity to pontificate for 25 minutes every week. You know? <laughs> yes. Yeah, right, and right. You at least hope they're listening. And, right. Uh, so uh, I think there is some truth to that. So you have to watch out for pride. I think you also, though, um, and people don't bring this up, I think you also have to watch out for discouragement in ministry because mm-hmm. ultimately you're trying to do something that only God can do. You're looking, right. you know, so it's nice when someone comes and says, you know, that was a wonderful sermon. But the truth is that's not really what I'm aiming for. What I'm aiming for is transform lives. But yeah, only right. God can do that. And so you're you're in the kind of role whereby it's easy to think, wow, what is, you know, what's... what. Because what you really want to see is, um, you know, God glorified, transformed lives, the kingdom expanded. These are huge things. And so I think you have to, you know, you could, so some some pastors are sort of perhaps too full of themselves. Other pastors are perhaps um, not encouraged enough. And Mm -hmm. you have to be aware of your own weaknesses and tendencies. So I think the way that works out, I would say, is number one, your personal relationship with Jesus. You Mm -hmm. have to spend time with Jesus, just you and him and enjoy him and nourish that relationship. Mm. And I would say that the, the biggest predictor of a pastor going off the rails is his relationship. I mean, this is so obvious it seems ridiculous to say, but right. you know, it, it's his relationship with God begins to get marginalized. That's number one. I think number two is you need a team around you that can speak into your life, and vice versa, you can speak into their lives too. People who you know believe in you, know what, 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 what's, want what's best for you, and because of that, they have permission to say, uh, you know, Pastor, I'm not sure about that. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, yeah, and you're actually right. going to say, okay, I, I disagree, but because that person is telling me, I'm not right. going to do it because they said it, and I trust them. That's mm. so good. That's so yeah. timely, too. I feel like we've been talking a lot in the last couple of months, too, about pastors who isolate themselves from people who can tell them hard truths, and we've seen where that can lead. And yeah. I think, so Brian and I are, are you know, pretty aware of some of the, the trappings, the we're given a platform. It's a very strange job. Uh, can you speak a little more broadly, kind of as we wrap up, to just anyone listening? How can we guard against boasting that doesn't glorify God, that doesn't look like Jesus? Are there other practical ways that you can help us kind of have some handles on, on how we can guard against that? Well, it begins with a transformation. I spoke about that already, so that'd be the first step. I think the second step would be to build into your lives some into your life some practical habits and tendencies. So mm-hmm. I would say, uh, number one, before you post something on social media or speak about something, ask yourself, what example am I setting? Mm-hmm. Is this an example that I is this a, is this a story 
that I want to be told about me. And of course, the story we want to tell about our lives is one that points to Jesus. But right. to ask yourself that question, is this setting the kind of example that I want to be set? Or am I actually saying something or writing something that, you know, at a moment of anger or peak or something, uh, I, I'm willing to say, but is it really? So ask yourself that example question. Yeah. I think another thing to say would be, and we spoke about community, but to make sure that you're rooted in a godly biblical church small group or a Sunday school, whatever the smaller segment of that church might be, whereby there are people who can actually encourage you and keep you on the right track. Mm. So that would be another sort of uh, indicator. Um, and then I think, you know, perhaps um, a little longer term, the last thing I'd say in this sort of as we wrap up, I guess, would be to say, make sure you actually have a plan for your life, mm. um, a series of pretty practical goals that are actually orientated towards doing something for Jesus that is promoting him mm. and using your resources to do that with his time or money or energy and relationships and very specifically and practically as goals that you can achieve that are for him and for his glory. That's so good. Pastor Moody, thank you so much for taking the time Mm -hmm. to share your wisdom with us. If you're just joining us, we've been talking with Pastor Josh Moody, senior pastor of College Church in Wheaton and author of the new book, Boasting. You can find out more at GodCenteredLife.org or College-Church.org. Pastor Josh, thank you so much for joining us today. That's been brilliant. Thank you so much for having me on. I really enjoyed it. Have a great day. Thank you so much. Coming up next, we're going to talk with Focus on the Family here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey friends, welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm, a show all about diving into the mess and the gray and the tense and the ugly, the stuff that doesn't have easy answers, doesn't tie up with a nice easy bow, but also hopefully the stuff that we share in common, whether we're old or young, progressive or conservative, whatever our stage of life may be, uh, to talk about what we have in common in a world where people kind of seem to be shouting back and forth, how do we create space for dialogue, for conversation, and we'd love to interact with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. You can also go to 1160hope.com, plus the show is podcasted. You can find all the previous shows there, and we're really excited to have on the phone Mr. Paul Batura. Welcome to the show, sir. Hey, Brian and Ian. Good to be with you again. It's great to have you back. Thanks so much for being here. Paul is the Vice President of Communications for Focus on the Family. In his role, Batura is responsible for media relations, internal communications, guest relations, and community relations to the ministry's Colorado Springs neighbors. With more than two decades of diverse experience in the news media, broadcast journalism, publishing, and nonprofit administration, Batura has been with Focus on the Family since 1998. Prior mm-hmm. to serving in his current capacity, Batura served as top writer and advisor to both Focus's founders, Dr. James C. Dobson, and its current president, Jim Daly. You can find out more at FocusOnTheFamily.com. Plus, Focus on the Family with Jim Daly can be heard every weekday from 1130 to noon right here on AM 1160. And Paul, just a little earlier in the show, uh, we were talking about this video that Alex Trebek shared uh, about some startling news regarding his health. And uh, I understand just yesterday you posted an article on Fox uh, talking a little bit more about that. Would you just share a little bit about what you wrote? I did. Yeah, no, thanks for bringing that up. Uh, I think that news kind of came as a bit of a blow to those of us who like the show. And yeah. I think if you like the show, you've, you're probably a fan of, of uh, Alex Trebek. You know, he's been a, yeah. uh, a real steady presence there, 35 years wow. uh, hosting the show. He's not the first host. The show goes way back. But at the same time, you know, he's been in our homes uh, for 35 years, those of us who like to watch it. And um, what I shared in that piece, there are two main things. And the first was that you know, when you get to know someone and, and you welcome them into your house every night, he becomes kind of part of the family. Yeah, right. and 
and the, one of the great things about that show, at least speaking personally, we always watched it when I was a young kid, high school, and it kind of became part of our evening ritual. And you kind of left that show feeling a little smarter than you did. Going <laughs> yes, into it. every time. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. And you feel good if you could actually answer a, a fraction of the of the question. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, so you know, it's just a game show. It, it obviously doesn't have a huge, uh, doesn't play a huge role in world affairs. But um, the 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 takeaway point though is, is that you know Alex is sort of known as the guy with the answers, yeah. right? I mean he he and yet when you get diagnosed with a severe um, problem like uh, four stage four pancreatic cancer, yeah, you don't have the answers. You wow. have probably more questions. And I don't know where he is spiritually. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a little reading. Um, he asked for prayers mm-hmm. for um, his. Uh, progress and I and I'm certainly going to pray for him. I know a lot of your listeners will too. Yeah. But it, you know, it's just it's it's life's great vexing issue when you get struck by a, an ailment, whatever it might be. You don't really know, and you have to trust in the Lord. Mm. Yeah. And Ian, as we said, we talked about this earlier, so it's really very timely that you wrote that this article and we were able to discuss it. Um, as followers of Jesus, as as Christ followers. Um, how would you help somebody walk through this startling thing? You know, it's one thing for Alex Trebek, but when, when a family member gets that diagnosis or when somebody, uh, gets that diagnosis for themselves, what are some good words of hope that you, uh, you try to extend to people? Well, I think a lot of times you just have to be a presence. Uh, You Mm. know, a lot of us, I think when we receive bad news or we, uh, encounter someone who just has, there's a tendency, and at least speaking as a guy, you want to try and solve the problem. Yes. Yeah. You know? And so you think, I'm going to find the perfect thing to say here, and I'm going to you know, give a, a, a treatment uh, a example or a advice. A lot of times you just have to be there and listen. It's the ministry of presence. And so that's the first thing. Hmm. You don't really have to say too much. You just have to kind of be with the person, spend some time. The other thing is, of course, if they're a believer, um, the reality is none of us are getting out of here alive. Yeah, right. right? And, and so when you get a, a tough diagnosis— you may think, well, I'm going to be exiting this earth perhaps a bit premature, but at the same time, we're all going to exit. You know, it's 100% certainty. Yeah, right. And so I think just sharing perspective and and trying to remind um, the other person of the good things that are to come and the fact that the best is yet to come Mm. seems to go a long way. I mean, I've, like a lot of your listeners, I've walked through the passing of a lot of loved ones, both Mm -hmm. my parents, and um, it's not a fun journey certainly, but it's also a, a pretty special one yeah. if you're with believers. That's really good. So I had mentioned earlier how one of the things that um, was strange for me watching the actual video of his announcement, and I don't know if I'm making this up or not, but it, it seemed like he was tearing up a little bit and how strange that was for me because he's, you know, he's so buttoned up and he's, he's, you know, he's this game show host. I don't really know any of these other sides. I've never really seen an interview with him. I don't know him as anything other than this. And, and I, I found myself so moved by even just the, the tiniest amount of like, oh, man, I think he's afraid. I think there's some fear there. And you touched on this idea of like ministry of presence as part of what just being present with people, how important that is in seasons of, of grief and sorrow. Why, why do you think that's hard for us to, A, like let our guard down and, and B, to be quiet, like as you mentioned, you know, we so often just want to fix it, make it better, offer solutions or verses out of context to make it go away. Like, why is the ministry of presence, like real presence, so difficult for us? Yeah, you know, I think we live in such a noisy world. You know, it's filled with uh, all types of sounds and all types of programs. 
and no offense to radio, but you know, I, grew up, <laughs> I, I, grew, I grew up in a home where the radio was always on. Yeah. Yeah. And so as a result, I'm a radio guy. I love it. But there are times when the only way you can really kind of hear the, the Lord's leading sometimes is to be silent. Mm. Um, and sometimes they say, you know, all of, I forget what philosopher this was, but he said, you know, most of life's problems boil down to man's inability to be quiet mm. by himself, just to kind of, see, you know, kind of soak in the moment. Um, and I think that's kind of scary to some people. But we also feel this pressure to always have something to say. And I know my own dad was like that. He always felt like he had to speak. And my mom would often say, Jimmy, you don't have to always talk. Just, you know, we're driving along in the car. Let the silence, just enjoy the silence. Enjoy the, mm. the, the scenery. That's good. And, and that's, I think, good advice. Because, again, it's, you know, especially with Twitter and social media, yeah. it's this constant, constant uh, flow of information. Um, but I, I was intrigued by that, too. Um, the, the seeming tears in his eyes because he's confronted with his own mortality. That's right. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think all of us probably when we get to that point, it's going to, it's going to strike you one way or the other. I'm curious. You said this is, is it at Fox.com or Fox news? What, what is the site it's at again? Yeah. Foxnews.com okay. has a pretty robust opinion section and um, I get to contribute there on a weekly basis, sometimes a few a week. And, th- um, and that's what I'm wondering great. about. That's a cool opportunity that you have. Uh, Talk to me about, you know, in the last minute or so that we have, is that kind of like a mission of yours? Is that kind of like, like, what is that? How do you view that opportunity you get on a weekly or more than a weekly basis on a, on a non-Christian site like that to be able to give opinion and, and share the hope of Jesus? Yeah, I'm humbled by it, guys. I'll tell you that much. And it's a little intimidating because <laughs> I, I do uh, allow and I put my email address on there because I want to invite that dialogue with people. Hmm, wow. And I, I've, you know, the two landmines that I've stepped on, uh, well, the one in particular is faith, because whenever you go in that direction, which I try to work into almost all of my pieces, um, you hear from the atheists, you hear from people who are angry. Mm. But here's the, the amazing thing. I've found that when I do that, and they write me a very angry retort, and, and I just respond, I do my best to, res- I always respond, respond kindly, mm. but I just kind of, just very lighthearted and and try and connect with them. I almost always get a kind reply. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they come at me with fire. I respond with uh, a little bit of a gentle answer, and they almost inevitably respond in kind. Because I think so many people just want to be heard. They just, yeah. they're, they're angry, and that's, you know, comment sections on websites are, don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> Tell right? me about it. <laughs> it's a dangerous, dark place. Yeah. Um, but email is a little bit more personal, and that's yeah. how I try to. Uh, I try and engage one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. That's brilliant, man. Well, Paul, we've had you on the show before, and I hope to have you on the show many, many times in the future. We always appreciate your heart and your perspective, and you can learn more simply by going to FocusOnTheFamily.com. And, uh, Paul, thank you so much again thank for you. joining us. Oh, thanks, guys. Have a great uh, weekend. You too. Thanks so much. You too. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the Internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. And how about that intro, Brian? I'm loving it. Oh, man. It's a new man. day. Oh, man. It's a new it's day. A new day. I mean, it's still the same day, but Come whatever. On, it's the weekend, man. It's Friday. Here we go. It's not even yet the weekend. Does it count right now? Yes. All right. Well. I'm mentally on the weekend right now. <laughs> You're mentally? Yes. You've been mentally on the weekend two days ago. <laughs> Mid-show Tuesday. That's right. Well, this is a show all about diving into the mess and the gray and the tent, but... But 
It's also a show to have some fun. Yep. And if you've uh, if you've been with us for any length of time, you know that we like to end the shows with just a little bit of craziness, a little bit of insanity. We find on the website, on the website, on the interwebs, on the interwebs, <laughs> the a website. website, a website. We go back to over and over again. And uh, if you ever have suggestions, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. Uh, we're also at 1160hope.com, where all the previous shows are. You can podcast us, have some fun. We'd love to hear from you. But Brian, why don't you kick us off with some interweb insanity? I'm starting in Germany. Starting in Germany, a gardener with grudges may have killed from beyond the grave. Yikes. Police in southwest Germany are warning anyone who clashed with a gardener who died last week that he may have left traps behind. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Everything from bombs to uh, homemade bombs left outside offices. It appears uh, they suspect he poisoned uh, someone else. Oh, my gosh, really? It appears that this guy... Uh, he decided before he died that he was going to lay traps for people uh, who had who he was mad with, who he had grudges with. And oh so that after word. he died, uh, that's dark. But I was going to say, you're laughing. At it. it sounds like he's been successful. <laughs> what a great pastor you are. Like, oh, with people. Grudges may have killed from beyond the oh grave. My, okay, so mine is not nearly as dark. Goodness. That escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. <laughs> In case anyone's wondering, we have no idea what type of uh, sound interventions are happening. So uh, we're glad that you're here along this ride with us. Uh, okay, so this one, it's out of Oregon. It says, there's only one Blockbuster store left in the entire world. Only some of you are probably surprised there's one at all. Yeah. But Blockbuster was once the largest retailer, one of the largest retailers in the world. It helped move the consumer's ability to watch movies from the theaters to the home via stores that offered videotapes for mainline films for rent. Eventually, it was buried by Netflix and other companies that offered DVDs via mail. And then the emergence of streaming. Two Blockbuster stores survived as of this week. One will close later this month. That leaves only one left in the World, which I say, good riddance. Good like, riddance. Like I, no way. In high school, my whole high school life, I worked at the local video store. It was the best. How did they ever go out of business with my sixty thousand dollars worth of yep. late fees? Yep. Like I don't understand. I like. I liked how whenever you would drive by an old Blockbuster, you could always tell it was an old Blockbuster because it yeah. still spelled Blockbuster in filth. <laughs> <laughs> like just so. Disc- but this is sort of the end of an era. So apparently, only one Blockbuster store left in the entire world. What a difference I'm, indeed. I'm going to New York. Sudden extreme gust of wind sends Norwegian cruise ship passengers flying. Sure. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Several people were injured when an extreme gust of wind rocked a cruise ship leaving New York late Sunday, sending objects <laughs> and people flying from one side of the ship to the other. 115 mile an hour wind. <laughs> People were flying everywhere. Oh, man. What, what a visual. I, I, I think we should have that music under all of our segments. <laughs> it creates like a real sense of intimacy, doesn't it? Is I'm, anyone... picturing, I'm picturing people flying on this cruise ship while this music just plays underneath it. I'm picturing people turning off their radio right now. <laughs> Wondering what is wrong with these guys. I feel like you need to keep teasing this story out, man. That... <laughs> Oh, man, I hope just one other person is finding this as funny as we are. All right, Kentucky, where's the beef? Man accused of taking $75,000 worth of beef tenderloin. A Kentucky man is accused of stealing more than $75,000 of beef tenderloin over several months. News outlets report that 42-year-old Billy Wethington, which he just sounds like a beef criminal, doesn't he? (laughs) 
Billy Mr. Weathington. Weathington. <laughs> I'm going to steal some beef uh, now. Like a handlebar mustache and a monocle. <laughs> was arrested in Louisville on Friday and charged with theft of unlawful taking. What an unfortunate end of the story. It sounds Don't like- kid yourself, Jimmy. If a cow ever got the chance, he'd eat you and everyone you care about. Oh, my God. It's, uh, the guy's name sounds like Beef Wellington. That's exactly what I was thinking. I didn't want to go there. I almost think that's a fake story. I mean... It's not. It's on the internet. It must be true. Mr. <laughs> Wellington, you stole your beef. You like that story more than I thought you were I going do. to. Maryland. The surveillance video shows bumbling attempt to steal an ATM. Four men tried to steal an ATM from a Silver Spring, Maryland 7-Eleven in February, and then it turned out to be trickier than they anticipated. Oh, boy. Police released a two-minute surveillance video of the bungled burglary. It happened around 4 a.m. The video shows a pickup truck smashing backwards, just picture this, through the storefront. Then three masked men climbed over the debris and slowly load the heavy machine onto their orange-painted steel hand truck, which they brought with them to execute the heist. The would-be thieves struggle with the ATM, and one suspect appears less than helpful, drawing a punch in the arm from his partner. Oh, it took them a while to get the ATM on the dolly. It appears the truck, the driver of the truck got a little restless. He decided to leave the area before the other suspects came out. Finally, the masked suspects get the cash-filled machine out the door, but it falls off the hand truck onto one of the suspects. Oh, my god! And then the suspects realize their ride has gone. But at that point, the thieves leave, leaving the ATM lying in the parking lot, but returning for the hand truck. Oh, my God. Listen to this. Police think they've tried this before as a similar operation failed in the district two nights earlier. It turns out that the truck used to ram into the store was also stolen, and it was later found in Maryland. They got nothing. Their buddy drove away. They can't do anything. You... Filthy criminals. <laughs> to me, that story, do people forget that there's cameras everywhere? Like that, like I just, I love the storytelling voice you use, by the way. I just uh, felt like I yes. was at Grandpa's house. That yes. was like a really refreshing, but like how, how in the world are you not aware of those cameras everywhere for a heist attempt well, and like that? And they clearly knew it because they wore black masks. So it's four in the morning. They nobody's in there, and they just drive through there. Be like, ooh, we got the mask so nobody can see our face. <laughs> That's absolute insanity to me. All right. Here is our last one for the day. Dada England simply reads this. Vegans accused of killing piglets by accident after storming farm to cuddle them. Oh, just let that sit for a second. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. That'll do, piglet. That'll do. <sighs> I feel like I'm in a glass case of emotions right now. I don't know if I should laugh <laughs> or to cry. A farmer has accused vegans of crushing two piglets to death after causing a stampede during their efforts to cuddle the newborn <laughs> pigs. 200 vegans from the group Meet the Victims, meat spelled with an A, obviously, stormed a farm in Lincolnshire in order to protest against pork. However, in their efforts to raise awareness about the cruelty of pig farming, they were accused of causing distress to the animals and inadvertently causing the death of two. That is legitimately Hilarious. a heartbreaking... Oh, gosh. <laughs> I hope you all listening just realize the difference between Brian and I. As I said heartbreaking, he said hilarious. I am just crying. I don't know. Like, is this the definition of irony? Is that what this is? Vegans trampling piglets? No, no, no. no. The vegans didn't trample them. They were cuddling them. Can I just tell you, one of the protesters who calls himself Earthling Ed. Oh, boy. 
This may be the lowest note we've ever ended this show on. I take that as a challenge, though. That was funny. <laughs> for that future funny. shows. Well, as always, my name is Ian, along with Brian Fromm. Thank you for joining us today here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.